For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Let's try this again. Welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I'm excited to discuss this Denver Nuggets win as the Nuggets defeat the Los Angeles Clippers final score, 134-124 in OT. Lot to be excited about. I apologize. I apologize for the technical difficulties from last night. For any of you that stayed up with me, I really do appreciate it if you did. Uh, unfortunately, there was a streamyard issue that we were dealing with, but hopefully things have kind of righted the ship just a little bit now, and we're we're looking forward to just being able to podcast and talk about this really really fun game and I'm excited about it as as everybody has probably figured by now. Uh, Den 43 and 19. Denver has beaten basically every top team in the West. They have uh, shown their abilities in a variety of different ways. But one thing that I thought really stood out from last night's game was the way that the Clippers approached the game. They approached that in like a playoff game. There's no, no doubt about it. Yes, they played Bones Highland a little bit in the first half and, and then a little bit in the second. And we, we can get into that in the second segment a little bit. But it really did feel like the Clippers were out to prove something after they had lost that heartbreaking double OT game, the previous game that they played against the Sacramento Kings, where you had a combined score of like 350 or somewhere close to that. It felt like this particular game uh, was really setting up for a playoff matchup. There was a playoff intensity from the get-go. The Nuggets brought it. They were making... Not, not everything, but they were making a lot, and the Clippers couldn't make a thing, but they fought back so, so hard throughout this game, and it was just exciting to uh, to be able to see Denver respond to that, respond to potential adversity, where you didn't know whether the Clippers were going to ultimately push through, uh, but you knew that they were hungry. You knew that they had, they want to kick this, uh, they want to kick this, issue that they've had with the Nuggets. They, they have had plenty of issues uh, so far, and it's unclear to me whether they're ever going to be able to get over the top of that. But to me, this was a great, great win for Denver. It was just a really, really fun atmosphere. Very, very exciting. What's us up, Rob? What up, homeboy? How about them Nuggets? My guy MPJ went off last night. If Mike continues to play that way, Larry, I was coming to De- Denver. Rob, I'm I'm so excited about it, man. This should be a lot of fun. This should be. I mean, I said it on the last podcast, and I yeah, I, I technically did skip the, the the Memphis game, and we we don't even really have to talk about that one that much. But I skipped the Memphis game, and the last time we talked, it was on Cleveland, 
And I just want to continue to reiterate to people that this should be a fun experience. This should be a really, really enjoyable time for this season. And Nuggets fans got to really experience that last night. And it was very, very, very sweet. Uh, as you know, I'm Ryan Blackburn of Mile High Sports. We did some awesome coverage for this Nuggets team uh, over the course of these last couple of days. Uh, but most notably, Sean Drotar took over for me as the uh, the home recap guy. And so it freed me up to do a couple of other things, including to uh, focus more on this podcast. But also I did a takeover on the social account last night. There's a lot of great things going on at MHS right now that I'm really excited about. So make sure to go give the MHS account specifically a follow if you saw my tweets from last night. Uh, and make sure to uh, just stay tuned to what we've got planned because there, there are some things uh, kind of in the pipeline that we're really excited about that I'm, I'm hoping we get to debut here really soon. So should be a lot of fun. Uh, Michael, incredible win. Where does it rank among the big wins this year for the Nuggets? There have been a lot, right? There have been a lot. I can't just automatically say that it's not number one. Uh, the Cleveland win, win uh, just a couple games ago was really good. Don't, don't get me wrong. But to me, that one felt like uh, the, the Nuggets don't really care about Cleveland. It was nice that they, they got a win against Team X, but it didn't really feel that, that great in, in terms of just, oh, how about them Nuggets? They are you know, they're unstoppable in the West. This one felt like with Jokic doing what he did, with Denver going the way that they went, it felt like Denver was just doing exactly what they needed to do to prove that they can get out of the West, that they aren't really worried about the the competition that they are facing right now. And the, the way that the Clippers attacked them last night with Nicholas Batum sliding over to the five, a lot of the game I thought was really, really interesting. And then in the fourth quarter in overtime, you had Kawhi Leonard defending Nikola Jokic and Paul George sliding over to defend Nikola Jokic. I don't think that Denver did a fantastic job of getting Jokic the ball in those situations. But when they did, boy, was Jokic good. That dude was unbelievable last night. And it's just really exciting to be able to see uh, him bounce back after what I thought was kind of an apathetic performance against Memphis. Jokic had some good moments against Memphis, but but the entire team as a whole just, just couldn't really make a shot, and he was kind of left by, by the wayside there. He went out, and, and it looked like he had something to prove last night. It was very clear for, from the get-go. He he got scratches. He he was getting treated for blood. Uh, he complained a little bit at various points, but more than anything, he took 1-3 at the beginning of the game, and it just rimmed out, and I thought, okay. He could either go one of two different directions now. He's either going to take those threes until he starts making them, or he's never going to take a three again, and he's going to try to pound it inside as much as he possibly can. And it was definitely B. The dude was fighting tooth and claw for the entire night. And the way that the Clippers were defending him with either Nicholas Batu at the five or Mason Plumley, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, whoever was guarding him, they were fronting him at the post a ton of the time. And when Denver couldn't get him the ball, he would try to rotate into the middle of the floor, uh, put his put his defender on his back and try to seal and, and do what he could to get the ball in the middle of the paint. And Denver struggled with it a little bit, but the larger point being, it takes so much effort. It takes so much aggressiveness to do that for, what, Jokic played 42 minutes? 42 minutes. And he never tired. He never slowed down in that regard. 
And for him to hold that up for as long as he did and be as aggressive as he was, you could tell that this was a, a super serious performance. I, I got the impression that they were taking this super seriously when you saw Aaron Gordon go from out to questionable to probable to playing last night. And then Jamal Murray, who you hear from uh, Harrison Wynn, he was at the arena that Jamal was dealing with back spasms. Like, everybody was fighting through something. Everybody was having to gut something out. And Jokic was among them. You see him him looking like he's being mauled by a cocaine bear or something like that. The dude has these crazy scratches going on. And it's not so surprising to me that he fights through it because he has he's has had success against the Clippers for sure. But for him to do it on this stage and in this position where you knew how hungry the Clippers were, they treated this, as I mentioned, like a playoff game. The number of timeouts that Ty Lue took early on in Denver runs was staggering to me. He did not let them go on major runs unless he had to because he took two timeouts and then Denver just kept going. But it felt to me like Joker had to fight through a lot. Denver didn't play their best. Jamal had a pretty eh game. And, and though there were other guys around him that played pretty well, most notably Michael Porter Jr., I thought that Jokic set the tone in just a spectacular way. And the most important thing for Denver is that they always know that they have the, the best player on court. And down the stretch, you had Kawhi Leonard and Nikola Jokic going back and forth at each other consistently fighting, and it felt to me like Jokic won that battle. Uh, both of those guys were at about 32 to 33 points uh, by the end of regulation, and then Jokers kept going. The way that Denver has to do this thing, the way that he stepped up in the biggest moments, it felt like the second or third round of a playoff game. And that is what you want to see. This is Denver's identity, where when the going gets tough, they have a dude that you can trust in those situations. And were there other things that Denver kind of struggled with at various points? Sure. I thought that Jokic really struggled with the five-out spacing that the Clippers were providing. Denver gave up several just wide-open threes to Nicholas Batum. And when it wasn't that, it was kind of getting rotated and getting mixed up. And Jokic was always defending somebody like Terrence Mann or Nicholas Batum or getting switched onto Kawhi or Paul George. And it wasn't great. But the fact of the matter is that I don't know what the show is. I actually haven't seen it. But there's a there's a clip that is very famous of a dude stuck in prison, and guys go after him, and then he says, "I'm not trapped in you're, I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me." And just like pours boil, boiling oil on everybody, and on, on the dude that's that's kind of nagging him or whatever. And that's how it feels like when with Jokic when teams go small, when they are switching and going five out and trying to space him out and switch and do everything front him and double him and whatnot. They're not trapping him in there. He's trapping them because like he has dictated just about everything and him being able to do what he's doing is just it's incredible at this stage. Robert says, Watchman, uh, Rorschach. That you know what I haven't seen Watchmen. I'm to go. I'm gonna go watch it. I, I feel I feel like a lesser person for not having watched that. So we will uh, we will definitely do that. But either way, fantastic performance from Nikola Jokic on national TV in front of an audience that, that had previously criticized him early in the night for stat hunting, stat chasing. It was one quarter of one. It was like 
one minute of one game right at the end of the All-Star break, and Kendrick Perkins has just run with that narrative. It's very frustrating. All right, Michael Porter Jr., who deserves almost as much credit as Nikola Jokic for stepping up and doing what he had to do. Uh, this was a fantastic, fantastic game from Michael Porter. And his ability in 39 minutes to put up the shots that he did, but also just like stay ever-present. There, there were times where he did shoot a ton. Like At the end of the fourth quarter, I don't think he took a shot other than that final three that he took with about, I think it was, it was 28 seconds remaining, 27 seconds remaining in the fourth after the Jamal Murray heave and then KCP rebound. Uh, that was such a big, big possession, and for him to be able to hit that in that moment, Porter hasn't had a lot of clutch threes before. Like, he had the one against the Port- Portland Trailblazers in Game 5. He had one, I think I remember, against Dallas last year, uh, maybe it was a couple of years ago, but he hasn't had a ton of these amazing moments. And he deserved that moment with, with the way that he played, with the aggressiveness that he played with. And it was just very, very cool to see him show up in this manner. Uh, 29 and 11. Uh, by the way, I didn't mention Jokic's stat line. 40 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists, 3 steals, plus 11. I don't think you guys needed to know that, but it was awesome. Michael Porter goes 29 and 11. 12 of 18 from the field. 18 shots for Michael Porter is a lot. 12 makes for Michael Porter is even more. Like, I'm not sure how many times he's actually made 12 shots in a game. It wouldn't surprise me if the number was, uh, you could count the times that he made 12 on one hand or two hands. And for him to be able to be that efficient, but also with that amount of volume against a team in the Clippers that should be geared to stop a player like him. It really should. Uh, he has stepped up. 11 rebounds tonight or last night in 39 minutes. Plus 17, he led the team in plus minus, and it's the way he plays and the aggressiveness, but also the proper aggressiveness. Michael Malone made sure to give a special shout out to him for the drives that he was making because four of eight from three, just one off of that uh, five threes record that he was about to set up, uh, he had already set for the franchise, but nearly contributed to two again. But eight of 10 from two, eight of 10. That's insane. Like, that's a crazy number. And his, his ability to drive off the catch, off of closeouts, make, and even from a standstill, like the dude was leveraging his ability to shoot with the best of them. And I'm very, very excited about the way, about the way that he has approached this season and also kind of where this is going to. Because it feels like he is rounding into absolute form where. Early on in the season, he was playing some, he was shooting the ball well, but it didn't really feel like he was super connected within the flow of the offense. Trying on defense to be clear, but not necessarily as impactful. And then he went through a shooting slump, and that was fine. Like everybody goes, goes through shooting slumps, but it was very weird for Michael Porter, too, because it's very rare that he ever misses his shots. And now we're kind of in this phase over the course of these last, I don't know, 20 games or so where he has been locked in, and outside of the Memphis game, this last one, he is on fire. He is doing everything that he needs to do on both ends of the floor to be an impactful two-way wing. 
And I know that he didn't defend Ka- Kawhi last night. I know that he didn't defend Paul George last night. That's definitely by design. I don't think that Michael Malone and the coaching staff really trust him in those matchups. I would still like to see them try it because in a game like last night where Aaron Gordon fouls out and you've got Jamal Murray trying to battle with Kawhi Leonard in the post, it might make sense to add more length in that matchup uh, just because, I mean, Kawhi is just going to try to shoot over whoever he, he posts stuff. So maybe there would be some ways for Michael Porter specifically to handle that matchup. But I think that they should try that going forward if they have to play the Clippers again. But if they don't, I just know that Michael Porter is going to show up in whatever playoff series he's in. I believe that. I, I know that there's some reservations nationally. I know everybody's wondering if he's healthy. Well, he's healthy now. And he's playing well now, and he's taking a lot of falls now, and he continues to get up, he continues to drive, he continues to power through it, and the way that he has approached the season on both ends of the floor leads me to believe that he has checked any and all ego at the door, he has bought into the system, and as a result, he's now getting these opportunities where, hey, 18 shots tonight or last night because of the way that he played and because of how effective he was. The team wants him to shoot that many times. They would love for him to get that many shots up. And sometimes it's going to be like that. Sometimes it's going to be a little bit more scaled back. But the real kicker is that he is doing this and doing it to the full best of his ability and not being concerned about either the results or the the specific way that he's doing things. He's just buying into his full role. And... His ability to do that has just been so special for the Nuggets this year. Last one before we have break, Jamal Murray. I didn't think that Jamal, like obviously 8 of 22 is a, a number that you you don't look at and, and think, hey, this, this was great. Uh, Michael Malone said last night uh, before I had to go, and then Jamal actually said he was, quote, surviving when asked how he was doing physically. Uh, that's not great. That's not that's not something that you're super excited to hear when thinking about Jamal's health heading into a playoff series. But look, Jamal's a warrior. He wanted to fight through after what was a horrible game against Memphis. He played badly against Memphis and clearly was not a hundred percent. The knee is one thing, and I think that they are they're like the left knee is is whatever. The right knee, the left knee is the one that he he tore. The right knee was the one that he was having some compensation issues with. And that is something that could be at least potentially problematic down the line if if he continues to work super, super hard on it. Uh, So Denver's got to make sure to get him the necessary rest that he does need. But last night, apparently, it was back spasms. And he was just like dealing with back spasms and could not move. And it looked like he was moving gingerly up and down the court. He was gutting it out. He was doing his best. He was trying as hard as he could. But but I'm sure that having to battle with Kawhi Leonard in the post at the end of the game did not help matters at all. So I'm hoping that he does better. The good thing about last night for Jamal is that he did find ways to contribute in a positive way, even if like it wasn't his perfect game. 8 of 22 is not great. But him being able to get up a half-court shot and put it up on the rim for that, I, it was either, you yeah, put him up at the end of the fourth quarter right before it went to OT. For him to be able to get a shot up on the rim is actually a really big deal in that situation. 
he walked into an uh, open three in OT. He set up Nikola Jokic countless times. He had 21 points, 12 assists, 5 rebounds, 2 steals. Did have the 5 turnovers, but he maintained it at a plus 13. And for him to be out there on the court and for him to be a plus 13, it just was all... Because he staggered with the bench, too. That's that's a big deal. He staggered with the second unit and still was able to be a plus 13. That's a really, really big deal, I think. So it's good that Denver was able to get this done. I wonder if they rest him against Houston. I wonder if they say, yeah, well, you know, we're going to give you the day off. It looks like looks like you could definitely use it. Denver doesn't play. Like, they play on Tuesday. Then they play again on Friday. And then they play again on Monday. So uh, between now and Monday, they have only three games. And it would not surprise me if, if they gave Jamal one or two of those games off. Just with the intention of, hey. We want to get your body right. We want to make sure that you are in the best possible position you can be to succeed. And Jamal gutted it out. And you give him so much credit for that. Like you said, he's a soldier. But it would not surprise me if they decided, yeah, we're, we're going to shut you down for a little bit. But either way, uh, really strong from the big three last night. Those guys, I mean, 21 from Murray, 29 from Porter, 40 from Jokic. Combining for four nine points from the big three. That's a big, big deal. So really excited to be able to talk about it. Really excited to be able to see that in action. Those guys, when they're in the clutch, you just know that the good things are going to happen. You have so much confidence in that trio that it just to me feels like Denver's in a great place. Even when other things aren't going well, you know that when the going gets tough, Murray, Jokic, Porter... Those guys are going to deliver, and that's a really, really exciting prospect for Denver. So, tell you what, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll do the rest of the starters really quickly, and then go over the staggered bench lineups that that popped up over the course of that game. But first, everybody, this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Make 2023 the year you beat Vegas. Superbook gives you the best chance every week to go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports, just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets anywhere. So download the Superbook Sports app or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. This is Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back in pickaxe and roll. Jackson Roll, Ryan Blackman. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I did the thing again where I left the Jamal Murray banner up, so my apologies for that. Um, all right, let us talk about Aaron Gordon, who made his return last night and clearly was uh, clearly was very, very like I'm, I don't know, like he was out of rhythm for for much of the game and. There were some good moments that he had. I, he had some good cuts. He had some good defensive possessions against Kawhi. He had some good switches. In general, though, it was a lot about 
Murray, Jokic, and Porter in terms of the shot volume, in terms of the allocation, and for Gordon to come back and gut it out and defend Kawhi Leonard the way that he did was really important. If Denver didn't have uh, Aaron Gordon in this game, I don't think that they win. I think that they get it to, or I don't think that it goes to OT. I think that Kawhi probably has like 40 or somewhere around there. And Denver's not able to stop him, and that would be a big, big problem. Because you saw after Aaron Gordon fouled out, he had those six fouls. Um, Denver didn't really have an answer. Like they they put KCP on him initially, and then I think well, actually they had they had uh, Jamal on various points too, and Jamal was just getting cooked in the post, and not not a lot he can do about that because he's got such a, a size disadvantage there. And clearly, if Jamal's dealing with back spasms, it's probably not the best. Probably not the best game to grade Jam- Jamal's post-offense, you know? But Aaron, six points, six rebounds, six assists, six fouls. I wanted to write that because I thought it was funny. Um, but three of nine from the field, 0 of five from three. Some of the pull-up threes that AG was taking, very weird, very odd shots. Like he was trying to get into the flow of things, trying to figure out just exactly what he could do and what he couldn't do. And wasn't really finding his rhythm, wasn't really making a difference on that end of the floor. Uh, the most important thing, though, is that in this particular matchup, Denver needs Aaron Gordon on the floor in order to be the best possible defense that they can be. That's probably what you have to do, what you have to see. Like him being 6'8 and being able to switch on to every single matchup, whether it's Russell Westbrook, whether it's uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, whoever. It always feels like Aaron's got something to bring offensively for this matchup. So, in the future, that's probably got to be the the largest priority for Denver, just to make sure that Aaron Gordon stays out of foul trouble, so that he can do what he needs to do uh, going forward and, and just be the the fourth guy. Because uh, I really do think that in this matchup, MPDJ is the third guy. Jamal's number two, Jokic number one, obviously, but. I think that AG doesn't have to do a whole bunch offensively in order to be an impactful player. Like, he just has to be the best version of himself offensively. KCP, one rebound, just one. Turns out it was a really big one. They showed it in the locker room last night, and there were some big, big cheers for KCP from the Nuggets and from uh, the players and the coaches because the hustle that he, he displayed on that final possession was a really, really big deal. Him being able to get that offensive rebound, get it back to Murray, who kicked it to Port Order for three, that really set up Denver. And it was only one rebound, but it shows the kind of role that KCP plays. He took four shots. He made one three. Uh, he had the clutch rebound. He had three steals, plus two turnovers, was plus nine. The dude plays his role to perfection. And him being able to do what he does on a consistent basis, it just shows that it doesn't take a lot to be an awesome role player. It doesn't take a ton. All you need to do is pick and choose your moments. You need to find a way that it is your opportunity to shine, when it's your time to be the guy, you can do it. And KCP just does what he has to do on a consistent basis. He stepped up and guarded Paul George really well, switched on to Kawhi Leonard to various points and forced some misses. Uh, he's just in the right place every single time and got the DPOG chain again last night. So the dude is on fire. He continues to do some crazy things and has fit into the perfect role that has made Denver this 
amazing starting lineup. Like you've got the star, you've got everything that makes sense from the top down pecking order, but you need guys that to fill in the gaps. And there's a no better player in the NBA so far that has filled the gaps better than KCPP as a fifth starter. The dude's been unbelievable. Let's move to the bench here real quick. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on the bench because it was fine. It wasn't great. There were definitely some moments that I think it could have been better. Jamal staggered with the bench last night, and they cut out Christian Brown and Jeff Green from the rotation, moving Vlatko back to back a power forward status, playing him next to Thomas Bryant. And then you had this three-guard lineup of Reggie Jackson, Jamal Murray, and Bruce Brown. Let me just reiterate. If Jamal is dealing with something injury-wise, then this probably isn't the best time to fully evaluate a lineup like that, where clearly looks hampered. There were some moments where he did hit some important shots, some step, like had a couple step-back threes over Nicholas Batum. Those were great. I don't like the three-guard lineup. I think that it looks a lot like Denver's other three-guard lineups. I think that Red Jackson is a bad defender. And that has really stood out over the course of these first three games with Reggie is that he doesn't really know where to go. He doesn't really know what he's doing. And some of that is, hey, you're in a new system. You're trying to figure some things out. But Jamal isn't going to, like, there was a lot of complaints about Bones, like how uh, it's not fair to Bones Highland. Or no, no, it's not fair to Jamal Murray, though. He staggers with that second unit that Jamal has to be the guy that defends a guy like Anthony Edwards. Uh, yeah, that's true. But is Reggie going to do that? Is Reggie going to be a stopper? No, he's, he's not going to be. He's a little bit aloof at times and definitely struggles with that. And so I think that this lineup still has some things to figure out. This is the first time that they've staggered like this. This is the first time that Jamal has been a part of this quartet where they've made it a quintet with him as the lone starter next to the four bench guys. I'm not sure what to make of it. I'm not sure what to make of Bruce Brown's role within it. I Like Bruce Brown played 30 minutes and was very, very good uh, for the most part in terms of just like filling in his role. But I'm not sure what the bench needs. And we'll, we'll go through it player by player, actually. Uh, Bruce, 30 minutes, 13 points, did have seven rebounds in those 30 minutes. And that's a good thing for a six foot four guard. One steal, one turnover. Did it end up being a plus six? He spent of overtime. In, in the game in place of Aaron Gordon. And obviously Denver won that OT by 10. So if he wasn't in the game at that point, he would be a minus four. Reggie Jackson was a minus three. Black minus six. Thomas Bryant, the minus two. So you're going up against one of the deepest teams in the league. And I'm not trying to like dismiss everything that Denver's bench has done because they played some like really, really good teams out of this break. Cleveland. Memphis, and the LA Clippers who were hungry. That's not an easy time to develop chemistry. Denver's going to really need this Houston game, who Dame Lillard just put up 70 freaking one points against them, and, and maybe that's something, or not that, but, but maybe the bench can get to rhythm against them. But to me, Bruce is the guy that I look at and think, okay, his fit with the starters has never been in question, right? He's always been a guy that like, he doesn't always space the floor well. He did have that opportunity for a game-winning shot right at the end of regulation. He misses. Paul George collects the rebound, or somebody collects it because it's the Paul George. The buzzer sounds. Paul George 
chucks up a shot, hits the three-quarter court shot just after to the buzzer. That had all of Ball Arena like, like have their heart stop. Like it was it was crazy to see. Um But Bruce had an opportunity there to win the game, obviously missed the shot. But still, like he finds ways to be impactful with the with the sec or with the starters. There's no doubt about it. With the bench, I'm not sure what he does. I'm not sure what his role is. I feel like Reggie Jackson's probably the guy that you wants. Um, you want him to be able to handle a little bit. You want him to be the dude. Bruce, I'm not sure. Like he's, he should be a. In my mind, he should be a secondary slasher, a secondary ball handler, where he gets the ball on the run, either on the right wing or the left wing, and tries to break down the defense, get all the way to the rim. You don't want him to be settling and trying for the floater. Like he's just not a floater. He's he's not a good floater shooter. And the number of times that he's taken a floater and missed over the course of these past three games, like he's clearly in a slip from that distance. Um, now it's it's something that he's going to continue to take. It's something that he has to be able to make heading into a playoff series. But uh, if he doesn't hit it in the playoffs, then that could be a real point of contention where he's always going to be wanting to take it. I think that he should be trying all the way to the rim. He is such a great athlete and so athletic that he should, and like aggressive, that he should be trying to get all the way to the rim. He finishes through contact extremely well, uh, did so in transition last night, and just he always impresses me when he's able to finish through that contact, but he rarely goes for it in the half court. And to me, that could be a place where he improves. Like maybe maybe that's something that he's saving for the playoffs where it really, really matters. But I got to imagine that him going through and fighting through contact is going to be better than the floater. I think that his three-point shot is going to wax and wane. I feel like it's going to come back down to earth here. We've already started to see it uh, in the last few games or so. He's not a 40% three-point shooter, I don't think. I think that he is kind of regress from that a little bit, but who knows? Maybe it continues and, and Denver finds out in a great way and, and he had some clutch shots in the playoffs. That, that would be great, but it would not surprise me if he kind of faltered a little bit. Reggie Jackson, uh, as I mentioned, third game back, 19 minutes, seven, it's two of six from the field, two of five from three. Kind of feels like he's, he's, he's very wild, very, very wild in the half court trying to dribble through Terrence Mann. Uh, Terrence Mann was guarding him a lot last night. Did a really good job, I think, of just disrupting what Reggie Jackson was trying to do. Seven points, four assists, one steal, one block. Uh, I have four assists and two assists listed there. I think it's four assists, and, and I forgot to delete the two assists. Um, but, like, zero turnovers was a big deal. At least it... Even though the, the shots weren't always made, even though there were definitely some points where Denver could have been better, Reggie Jackson having zero turnovers as the lead ball handler with the second unit, that's a big deal. Uh, him being able to minimize those mistakes is huge. Uh, it looked wild. It looked bad. There were definitely times where I was very concerned about what was actually happening with that group. But uh, again, it's going to take a little bit of time. I think I trust Reggie Jackson to figure that out just a little bit better than I do Thomas Bryant right now because Thomas Bryant has shown so far has been pretty bad. But we'll see what happens. I do think that Reggie's got to be more connected on both ends of the floor. 
offense and defense. He struggled with both. And if Denver wants to get to where they need to go, they needed another ball handler to be capable. And Reggie's got to figure out how to be that guy because I don't think it can be a Smith. Bruce Brown can handle the ball, but you want another guy. You want other players too. So we're just going to have to see. I'm, uh, I'm very, very curious. Um, and uh, actually, I just see this comment from, from Rob. I do think that uh, they will get back to the bench lineup, all bench lineup, with uh, very much haste. <laughs> They're going to try that in this next game against Houston. I think that they really wanted this game, and they cut down the rotation as a result. There's no one to not play Christian Brown against the Houston Rockets. You do not need that win. You need the win against the Clippers. You do not need the win against the Rocks. Um, Reggie Jackson, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Flacco, Thomas Bryant. Like, that's a big, that is a uh, potential really helpful lineup that we haven't seen so far yet. I do think that that could be a great group against some bad teams, especially. So, hopefully, they could get some, uh, some good rest there. Vlaco here, really quick. I thought he started the game off pretty poorly last night. Had an air ball, missed a free throw. The dude, he was like 97%, 96% from the free throw line. Hadn't missed, like he only missed one free throw up until last night. So I made the joke that it took his free throw percentage from like 96 down to 80 in one game. That's not actually what happened. He's probably still like 93, 94. But... Vlaco, when he hits the shots, is a really, it's a really, really big deal. He hit a clutch corner three uh, off of a pass, I believe, from Jamal. Uh, that was a big deal. He also had a nice, a nice back cut from Jokic, where Jokic was operating at the top. Vlaco just slipped a screen. He was, uh, he was setting a pin down for one of the guards, and he just slipped the screen right for an easy reverse layup that he made look really nice. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out what he's what he's going to do. I don't know what his ultimate role is going to look like, but he's got to be trustworthy. This team needs somebody else in the front court that they can trust. They trust Jokic. They trust Michael Porter. They can trust Aaron Gordon. I don't know if they tr- – like, they definitely don't trust – I mean, maybe Michael Malone trusts Jeff Green, but he probably shouldn't. They should not trust Thomas Bryant based off of what he's done so far. They can trust Vlaco. Like, Vlaco has shown that he can do that. I think he's going through a little bit of a rough patch here over the course of these past five. I think he's also had some shooting struggles lately. But in general, if he can get out of those, like he would be very, very helpful for this bench unit. Just spacing the floor, connecting everything. Maybe they run some 1-4 pick and roll with uh, Vlaco kind of slick screens at the top as opposed to 1-5 pick and roll with Thomas Bryant. I could see them doing that and then making Blacko kind of the the, uh, the release valve, somebody who can operate and can distribute the ball. That would be a good role for him if they were able to get to that. And finally, Thomas Bryant. 11 minutes, not a lot. They don't need a lot from, from him. I thought that he had some good rim protection moments from last night when the Clippers tried to try him. Uh, Bones Highland was one guy who definitely tried to try him. Actually, let's talk about that real quick. Uh, Bones Highland coming back and getting booed incessantly from the, the crowd. That was pretty funny. And to me, that, that's one of those things where, where uh, I think that the way that he has talked to the media, I think the way that he has um, talked about the Nuggets and, and just like 
how I think he's living in a different reality than what actually happened. And that's fine. Like he has to do what's best for his career. And I think what's best for his career is to get to a place like, well, probably not with the Clippers, but a place where he could play more consistently, play through his mistakes. And another team would be willing to deal with the the pain of that. Denver was willing to deal with the pain of that. If bones didn't continue to make, uh, snide remarks behind scenes about wanting to play more. Um, obviously, this is it is what it is, but I, I think that I think that Denver's more than happy about where they are and the team that they have and the group that they have and the culture that they have. Bones wasn't hurting the culture or anything like that. I think everybody noticed it and they were like, yeah, we would we know that he's not pulling the same direction right now. So the most important thing is to get everybody pulling the same direction. And we heard from Calvin Booth, and I thought he said that last night in, in pretty eloquent terms. So, uh, Michael, you're right. If there was a little bit of shade, um, he definitely doesn't get booed, but he, he was he was shading the, the, the video that he had about the plane. Um, that, was, that was one thing, but I, I don't know. It was just uh, a frustrating time for Bones Highland, and, and I hope... Uh, like, he had some good moments where he got to talk some trash, and then he airballed a three, and he got blocked a couple times at the rim, and there were a lot of moments, both good and bad, for, for Bones Highland that, that were pretty funny. Thomas Bryant was a big reason for that. Thomas Bryant had a couple blocks. He had some rebounds. Uh, Bryant did travel one time when he got switched in, in the post onto Bones, and he received the ball, kind of slid his feet just a little bit before dribbling. That's one where he's got to be better. Like Thomas Bryant just has to figure that out. There is no way in hell that he can make that mistake in that moment. Like he has to take advantage of a size mismatch with Bones Highland. Like this should not be that difficult. Uh, it feels like he is rushing. It feels like he's playing too fast. It feels like he is out of rhythm and very much uh, nervous about what's going on. So. Hopefully, he can have some reps over the course of these last 20 games or so where they can figure that out and it can look a little bit cleaner, look a little bit better. I don't know if he's going to play in the playoffs. To me, it would, would surprise me if Naji was back in the rotation as that backup five. Somebody who can switch a little bit more, somebody who can cover up for more defensive mistakes. But uh, I think that I think that Thomas Bryant can be optimized a little bit better offensively. Denver hasn't so far. They tried this last game, and it didn't work. It just didn't. So hopefully they can put themselves into a better position where they can do that. He finished a lob last night. That was his only bucket. Had a couple free throws, a couple trips to the line. Was aggressive, trying to fight through various things, but I I, I think that he needs to do better. So we, we will see. Only minus two in 11 minutes, though. That's not, not a big deal. I, I it could have been way worse than what it actually was. So credit to Thomas Bryant for making the most of his opportunity. All right, let's take one more break. When we come back, we are going to go over kind of where Denver stands and why the Memphis game and the Clippers game are both who the Nuggets are right now in terms of some people's eyes. We'll be right back.
Alright, we're back. Final segment, pickaxe, and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, really, really appreciate all the love, folks. Uh, apologies again for the technical difficulties from this episode last night. Make sure to go give this video a like if you possibly can. Uh, got a lot of people watching in the comments. Thank you so much, everybody, for hopping and sharing the love. Uh, this was a fun, fun win. And I am really excited about where Denver stands right now and the response that they had uh, in general. 43 and 19 record overall there. First in the West, obviously. 28 and 4 at home and 15 and 15 on the road. Denver needs to play better on the road. Like, this is, it's, it's not debatable. Like, they, they need to have a positive road record. They can't, like, I mean, obviously, if they're going to be the first place in the West, they're going to have a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of wins at home. Like, they're going to have that home court advantage. It's going to be a lesser home court advantage in the playoffs because teams, when they are traveling, they'll have plenty of time getting to Denver. There's going to be time off. They're going to spend more time in Denver, get uh, acclimated to the altitude a little bit better. That's going to be something that you got to think about. Uh, so Denver does have to be able to be like capable on the road, and they can. Like them showing up in Cleveland, I think was a big deal. But, but the way that they played against Memphis, I do think is also a big deal. And actually, we'll, we'll get to that in just a bit. Magic numbers: Denver's got twenty games left to go, forty-three and nineteen. That's sixty-two games. Twenty more games is left, and their magic numbers are thus: ten for a top four seed. Because right now they are, because they're 40-19, the Clippers are the 5 seed, 33-30. and 30. So the max that the Clippers can get to wins-wise is 52. Denver has 43 wins. So actually, does that mean that... Oh, no, because uh, Mavericks, the Mavericks have a... Uh, they still have the tiebreaker of Denver, so I think... Wait, wait, do they? Well, it's a, it's a split. Uh, let's, just, let's just call it magic number 10 for a top 4 seed. Denver's going to have home court advantage, uh, at least in the first round, most likely in the second round, and most likely throughout the entirety of the playoffs because their magic number four, the top seed in the West, is 17. And Memphis is going to lose a couple games here. Denver's going to win some more games. There's no doubt in my mind that the Nuggets are, uh, that they are going to continue to push, and they're going to push hard enough that they clinch at a reasonable time. They're not going to overly push because I think everybody realizes, look, the Nuggets are pretty well set that they don't have anything to prove against most of these other teams, especially down the stretch. So they're going to get the wins that they need to get and maybe not necessarily the wins to, uh, like, like for example, go get the franchise wins record. Like Denver at this point, given that they're 43 and 19, in order to get to, um, in order to get their their home or their franchise wins record for NBA, they would need to get to fifty eight wins. Fifty seven is the current record right now. Given that there are twenty games left, them going fifteen and five isn't out of the question. It's definitely like they could do that if they wanted to. Are they going to? Is this going to be something where they are super intensely focused on getting uh, a fifteen and five record? That would actually be a higher pace for where, where they are at than, than what they've done so far. So I don't think that they're going to go for that. I doubt that 
it matters that much to them. It would be cool. It would be a super, super cool thing, but it has to happen naturally, in my opinion. And Denver pushing for that in the final couple wins or the final couple games of the season, playing Jokic a couple extra games, playing Murray a couple extra games when he's already dealing with back spasms and knee inflammation and and, and foot inflammation and things like that like you do not want to tempt fate. So Denver at this point, I think that they are comfortable just going for that seventeen mark. They're going to try to make sure that they guarantee that they're the top team in the West. And I think we've talked about this before. If they get to to 54 wins, 55 wins, I think they are guaranteed there. Let's say 54. That means that they have to go 11 and none the rest of the way. Maybe if they do, if it's 55, maybe you go 12 and eight. And that's fine. There's, there's, there's anything wrong with that if they, if they decide to go that direction. And they can get that pretty easily. They have a relatively easy record. Uh, let's go to Tankathon here real quick just so we can do the remaining strength of schedule that they actually have. Um, yeah, going on Tankathon, hopping on there, Denver has the seventh easiest remaining strength of schedule. They do have a five-game road trip. That'll be a little bit difficult. They've got a, a couple times where they're doing backs. But for the most part, I feel like it's going to be pretty easy for them to get 12 more wins. We will see if they actually push 4 or 15 or 16 or anything like that. But I do think that they're pretty capable of getting to that place. Um, okay. I want to go over this here real quick. People who watched the Memphis game, um, it was on a night where the Celtics and the Sixers did battle. It was on a night where there were a lot of other fun games around the association. I think that the the post-All-Star break schedule so far for the NBA has been incredible. You had the Clippers-Kings game that nearly set the points record. You had a game uh, between Dallas and uh, Dallas and the Lakers on Sunday right before Denver. That was really good. Uh, you had a game between Milwaukee and Phoenix. That was earlier in the day. That was really, really good. You had a lot of great national games, a lot of great performances from these teams. And then you had that game on Saturday. It's going to kind of get forgotten between Denver and Memphis. But the haters, the haters that watched it, they're like, okay, okay. so yeah, Denver, you go up against a top team in the Western Conference, and you think, okay, nah, they're 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 not for suit. They're not for real. They're not serious. Jamal, not not as good as everybody thinks he can be. Here's what happens when they don't shoot that well. This is what a pessimist view of Denver is going to look like, where they have these moments in them. I don't think that this is who Denver is. I don't think I think that that was a random thing. It felt very much like Denver brought the intensity early, and then the all bench lineup kind of sucked the life out of what Denver was trying to do, and then the starters were they were pretty apathetic. Uh, if, if we're being honest, they were pretty apathetic in that final little stretch in the second quarter, and then coming out of the third quarter, it just it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't anywhere close to the intensity that they brought against the Clippers, a game that they knew that they had to win, that they wanted to win. And in my mind, both people are right. The pessimist who have Saturday's game against Memphis as a reason for pessimism, and last night. Uh, local fans here, analysts here, I think have reason for optimism about the Nuggets, where you have both versions, where the Nuggets have not been good on the road. 
Fortunately, they're going to be the one seed if, if all breaks right, and they won't ever have to play more road games than home games in a playoff series. That's going to be a good thing for Denver. Now, Denver can't just rely on that, though. There are going to be times where they need to go out onto the road. Like, let's say, I don't know, the Phoenix Suns, for example. Let's say they steal game one in a series against Denver. It's not that Denver can't win against Phoenix in Phoenix. Like, Denver could do that. We're going to see what that matchup looks like at the end of March here uh, and at the beginning of April. I wonder how serious those matchups in the regular season are going to look. But it wouldn't surprise me if Denver has to go on the road and try to do some things that, that, like, hey, you got to go beat Kevin Durant and beat Devin Booker and beat Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton pick and rolls on the road in a hostile environment against a team that they feel like they have Denver's number. They feel like they have the ability to space Denver out, to put the Jokic in pick and roll situations and always make it very, very difficult for him. And they might be right. I think that both people are right at this point. I think Nuggets fans, they have a reason for optimism because they have seen what Denver does in these difficult moments. They have seen what happens when the going gets tough and how Jokic kicks it into overdrive, how he goes from fourth gear to sixth gear, whatever you want to call it, and he locks it. And Murray has shown the ability in those moments to make big shots. Michael Porter hits a massive shot. KCCP gets a clutch rebound, but then it all comes back down to Jokic and what he is able to do, and nobody can stop him. Like, nobody is, is going to really stop him. And if that is the case, if that is borne out through the entire playoffs, Denver's going to win the title if nobody stops Jokic. Now, there are matchups that could make it difficult. There are matchups, especially on the road, that could make things painful. Memphis is a reason to be pessimistic. pessimistic. If they have Jared Jackson as kind of a help side defender, whether it's Steven Adams as the main defender or if it's uh, Xavier Tillman like, like it was this last game. I think that there is reason to be pessimistic. There's reason for, hey, how is Jamal Murray going to deal with the physicality of Dylan Brooks? I think that how, how is Denver going to match up with Kevin Durant to Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden and Chris Paul? There are reasons for those folks to be pessimistic. I'm not trying to say that there aren't. Um, but I do think that you see the duality of who the Nuggets are in just the span of 24 hours. And it is really cool to be able to watch that and be able to be on the positive side of that and to be able to have a positive outlook with that. I'm hoping that, that the Nuggets are able to make it work. I'm hoping that they're able to figure it out. Um, Rob says, not worried about the Memphis game at all, Nuggets. Uh, it's very possible that like, I don't have major worries. I think, like you, Denver could be in a situation where uh, they're just resting. They are playing that all-bench lineup, and there are circumstances that kind of led it to be the, the game that it was. But the most important thing that I come away with is that in the clutch this year, the Nuggets have been awesome. Awesome. Really, really good. 19-9 win-loss record in the clutch. That's any time that has incurred a clutch game. And sometimes you're in an advantageous point there. Sometimes you're in a disadvantageous point. But if it 
logs into clutch time. How do you perform? Are you going to lock in during those moments? Or are you going to fall apart in those moments? And I consistently feel that the Nuggets will lock in. They have done so every single night on defense. And it's not how you, like, it's kind of crazy to think, right? There are different moments where Denver is going to be better uh, defensively, like against the Joel Embiid matchup. Like, they left Jokic on an island intentionally in that. And I feel like there are better ways for them to handle that particular game than they did. That was one of the few times that they couldn't really defend. Almost every other time that they've logged it in for clutch time, they've been able to guard. And they've been able to switch. And they've been able to hound people. They've been able to force turnovers. Or more, like They grab rebounds. They protect the rim. They do everything. Lock shots at the three-point line. Like They have done a lot. And for them to be able to play fundamental lock defense in those moments, their offense is actually what's holding them back, which is crazy. Uh, and their offense is fifth. So, like, top five offense, top five defense, first in net rating in those moments. The Nuggets are a clutch team. They know what they have to do. Their identity is so rock solid in those moments, and they have guys that are willing and able to play those roles to a T. So the reason why KCP is such a big deal, Denver didn't have KCP last year. Like, you think it would have been helpful against the freaking Golden State Warriors? Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's a lot of players that you can log into and say, yeah, if Denver had this guy, or if they had this guy, or if Denver was just reoriented around this particular lineup, it feels a lot different. It feels a lot better and cleaner and crisper. And what we have seen from this group over the course of this time has just been they lock, they lock it in during those clutch moments and choke the life out of a team. It's on the defensive end, but more important, like, not more importantly, like, just as importantly, they get these clutch baskets from Jokic, from kickouts to MPJ or to KCP, Jamal Murray taking over when need be. There are enough ways that the Nuggets can really kick a team's butt in clutch time that I feel very confident with them heading into clutch minutes in a playoff series. I don't know what it's going to look like with the bench. I don't know what it's going to look like with staggered lineups. But anytime the Nuggets can get to a lineup that features any of the starting five plus Bruce Brown or Bruce Brown, I think that they're going to be great. And nothing from this regular season has dissuaded me from that. There are going to be some matchups that are better than others. Not having a guy last night to guard Kawhi Leonard down the stretch could be bad. And then Kawhi Leonard got tired because that's what players do. Like, sometimes, even if you have the advantageous matchup, you don't always deliver. The Nuggets deliver even when the matchup is not good. They fund ways. And for them to be able to do that on a consistent basis, it feels like a group of destiny. It feels like this is the group that is going to get it done for this Nuggets team. So, I am really excited. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Michael, if you can hit that outro music here real quick. Uh, this is going to be a fantastic offseason. Or no, fantastic postseason, excuse me. Folks, thank you so much for hanging out with me. This has been a lot of fun. I apologize once again for technical difficulties that we've been dealing with. But this is going to be great. 
and we're going to have a fun time. We're going to have a fun time together. Uh, folks, thank you so much for hanging out with me in the comments. Let's do this again. I'm sure if I'm going to podcast, I, I can't imagine I'm going to podcast again tonight. So let's podcast Tuesday night, and we are going to have fun after the Houston game. Should it be a lot of fun? Let's talk to you guys again here in a little soon. Thanks so much, everybody. Leave a like.